It is a huge honour to be talking to Mandy today, and if I'm truly honest, an even greater honour to be able to call her my friend. So without further ado, here is Mandy talking all about what it means to be rock. Hi, Mandy. Thank you so much for joining us today for Reefering oh. Readers. Um, it's probably my favourite thing to do, being a complete and utter bookworm. Um, but I devoured your book, Being Rock, very, very quickly. Being Rock, a guide to being there for yourself and others. Redefining listening so we all feel heard. It's an incredibly powerful read. Um, but before we delve into this, do you want to tell me and tell everyone a little bit more about you? Okay, thank you. I mean, I think the first thing I want to say to everybody is I am definitely still a uh, work in progress as far as listening is concerned. And I really didn't want to do a self-help book. I wanted to be honest about this is my journey too. Um, so I really try and speak to, I, I wanted the book to be a journey where we're alongside each other and you kind of feel how I'm I'm progressing so um, I don't want anybody to think I'm some sort of expert. Um, what happened was I was a volunteer sitting at end of life with hundreds of patients actually um, as a companion um, and what was happening is I was listening to the people who were talking to me, the families, the people in the bed and realising that I hadn't quite nailed down listening. I thought I was doing active listening and I was doing it properly and it, it wasn't working. And I discovered through hours of sat sitting at the bedside that there is something else and there is an everyday listening that we've kind of, nobody's talking about. And I wanted to bring that back in. I wanted everybody to realize the power that they had in being able to be alongside someone and most importantly, enable someone to feel heard. Um, so that's what the book's about and that's my experience. Well, the, the book is, is um, fabulous and I, I guess it brings to mind the question is what do you think the link is then between our general sense of well-being, our health, our, because health is so much more than a number on the scales, you know, it's how we are emotionally and mentally. How do you think being heard and being validated and having someone make that space for us how do you think that benefits us in terms of our health i think it's a huge benefit i think it's the probably the missing gap in the whole talking about well-being that we've been kind of not getting is we go to see very well-trained therapists and counselors who honestly rosie i don't know what i would have done if i hadn't seeked professional help in different stages of my life but what we're missing is the ability for all of us to receive the presence of another human being in the everyday. And that is so powerful to actually feel that your partner, your children, your work colleagues hear you, really hear and see you for the moment that you're in and vice versa, that you know how to do that for them too. And it's hugely powerful. And I'm wondering if we all engaged in that a little bit more, maybe we wouldn't need to go to see the therapist when we're in crisis because some of those crises may have been averted in the first place because we've all found a way of being heard. And I'm worried for 
social media is it's such a great tool but unfortunately having comments and likes while it is great support is not the same as one-to-one -one support it just isn't there is something very special about being able to stand in your kitchen and have a cry in front of somebody and they don't try and fix you mm. and they don't try and butt in they actually really listen mm. that's that's love that's that's it i and think it's huge it is huge and i think you make a really valuable point there when you said about how you know maybe some of those that actually listening and being heard is 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 the intervention in itself you know about people not being able to might not end up in therapeutic situations but equally i think on a daily basis you know like this small incremental um that building of not being heard over a course of a day two days a week months or even you know years that has like an accumulative effect on our just general stress i imagine that it leaves it must leave us actually when you begin to think about have i been heard have i been ignored at work did someone talk over the top of me is my husband not hearing that i need more support at home um, that I'm juggling all the balls and no one's hearing me or validating the emotions or I just feel I just need to say I feel sad then actually even on a daily basis that could manifest in not sleeping well or reaching for foods that you might not reach for otherwise emotional eating and so forth so I think you're right I think it is like the missing it's like a missing piece of the puzzle we don't talk about it enough do we no, and I think also if you have, that's why I like the analogy of being a rock for someone, if you have your rock to bounce off, to bash and crash against or to bask in your joy with you, yeah. um, what's really good is you hear yourself. So if I said to you, I feel sad and you held that for me rather than started talking straight away, then I actually hear myself say that and go, oh. I've got that space to hear what just came out of my mouth. Because I don't know about you, but I, when I'm busy, when I'm stressed, the thoughts go around my head so quickly that sometimes I don't actually know where I am. And it's only in the sharing, the vocalizing, that sometimes not only are we heard, but we hear ourselves. And, give and us that's us pretty powerful. Yeah, give us an opportunity to sit with those feelings acknowledge them allow them and then when we can sit with them they can pass through us can't they if we yeah. can kind of push them down all the time they don't have an opportunity to actually be observed as it were and then when we observe them we're outside of them they have space to move on don't they do you mm. think we've become terrible listeners do you think we've got worse um i don't think we've got worse i think I think it's not the listening that's got worse, it's what we do after we've listened that's got worse. So I think we've become a fix-it society. Mm. So we've been taught to respond very quickly with whatever our fix-it is gonna be, you know, oh, here's a load of solutions, or I found that if I did this, I'm, you know, you'll be better if you do that, or go and see somebody, or do something. And what happens is we listen and then we talk straight at the person and they don't feel heard because now you're giving them loads of advice 
and guess what they'll have spoken to somebody else yesterday about that problem and they gave them loads of advice and da, 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 da. so i think it's not that we don't listen it's that we're too quick to respond after we've listened yeah that's so true and as you were saying that i was thinking gosh it's like a form of we're so commercialized as a society now it's almost like that's like a commodity isn't it you know here here I am telling you this is how I feel and I can sell you this fix it. I can sell you this diet. I can sell you this workout plan because when you fix that, everything is gonna get better. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's just another kind of manifestation of this. Um, it's a very transactional society now, isn't it? It has to be, you know, you have to feel like there's a, a box ticked if we're gonna be fulfilled. Yeah. And I think we've forgotten that there is a huge power in somebody holding presence for you just for a moment so that you actually think, wow, they actually did understand how I felt. Mm. Yeah. And a friend said that to me yesterday. She said, I think the power, I didn't realize, but the power of being rock is that I don't have to do anything but actually honor the spaces and in the spaces is where people heal mm, that's massively powerful and i think you know it is very difficult it's difficult not wanting to fix it especially when you're with someone that you really love and care about like, yeah right for example your best friend or your mum or your sister or someone in your world that you care about you want to make it better don't you yeah i think Thinking about the context of the work we do here at Reframe Club, when we are in conversations with people who are body bashing, for example, and they're saying things like, I hate my thighs, or I'm so fat, or I'm not enough, we very quickly go to, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're beautiful, you're perfect, you're... And actually what we're doing is, by doing that, we're saying, what you're saying isn't valid. La, 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 isn't it? Yeah, and the, and, and the truth is, it might not be valid, but that's how that person feels in the moment. So my, what I discovered worked was to reflect where they are. So I would, I would listen and then say, if somebody says, mm, I probably, I wouldn't want to affirm that they thought they were overweight, but if they said, um, oh, I hate my thighs, I might just say the word thighs. But you can't make a big deal out of it. You can't go thighs, Rosie, because then it's like, oh, yeah, your thighs are a problem, right? So you just go thighs, almost like you're saying, aha, uh -huh, and don't really make eye contact. And what you're doing is let that person hear that that's, the, the, um, the epicenter of what they're feeling right now is around that issue for them um, and then leave space. So don't say anything else. Let them fill the space. And it's really hard, that bit, because we all find silence really uncomfortable. Um, but in my experience, if you can um, just think of yourself as being rock, you know, <laughs> Zen yoga. <laughs> for a moment and hold that that gap then normally what happens is people will respond 
and they'll go oh yeah it's I, it, my thighs just represent this whole feeling that I have about my body image maybe they'd say something like that you know but you're allowing a conversation definitely and I think yeah. it's quite often the negative language we use around our bodies is masking other stuff actually what it's masking is when people say I feel fat because fat isn't a feeling it's a judgment we make about ourselves you know it's not sad it's not angry it's a judgment um actually what we feel is something different it's what we feel is insecure or um inadequate or overwhelmed or unheard and actually what we do is we bring it back to a judgment about ourselves because we think i'm not good enough to be um recognized or validated yeah yeah and as you know you know i i um the way i coped as a young woman was i drank and um that came from i i'm not beautiful enough i'm not good enough i'm not sociable enough um i'm not fun unless i've had a drink and when i look back for me that was a whole part of not being my mum was always saying oh yeah you're beautiful but i don't feel beautiful mm. um and again it, you you're right you know part of that not my mum's fault but part of that is feeling completely not heard where i was and if somebody maybe had helped um me see that um that was the beginning of something maybe if somebody did hear me back then it would have been different i don't know rosie but you know it can't hurt to have lots of people be willing to listen oh that's a beautiful way of putting it it can't hurt to have lots of people willing to listen no i can only think that's a very good thing for the world really I yeah mean, sorry. And, and we can't, can't really get that wrong can we if we're listening we can't get that wrong giving giving inappropriate advice we can get that wrong in space <laughs> but but listening can't actually do do harm i don't think no i think you're right and we do worry about that i think we worry a lot about well we mustn't uh, get too close but i always i i think that the biggest thing i realized with rock is if somebody has chosen you to share their deep stuff with it's because they trust you as somebody who's safe mm. and that's an that's an absolute compliment and an honor so you don't need then need to worry am i good enough they've already decided you're good enough mm. yeah no i think that's you're right we put a lot of expectation on ourselves to be the perfect responder but actually they're not looking for for a responder we don't need to be we're not paramedics don't need a first responder we're looking for a listener and you know i've experienced it myself um i know family members who have lost people and people they thought were friends for example began to cross the road because they didn't know what to say because they put that pressure on themselves to come up with the perfect thing thing yeah and actually all that person yeah. wanted was a hug and to have a conversation about something other than yeah yeah or or maybe they do want to have a conversation about the fact of what's happened but um they can't do that if you cross the road and it happens all the time and all of us me included we've all done that bit where like 
I'm going to avoid that situation because I don't know what to say. We've yeah. all done it. So the way around that is to say, um, I don't know what to say. So I'm right here. Mm. Mm. So do you think that would be a good response in those situations where you have someone you care about saying something negative about themselves? You know, I would, um, from a coaching perspective, when I work with an individual, I would always try and encourage them to acknowledge the thought and then come back to themselves. So come back to being present in themselves. And I know that's something you discuss in the book. Um, you talk about finding true presence and you talk about distraction and numbing. And I see in my own private practice, a lot of people that do that with food. So they yeah. feel, you know, in the book, you make a really lovely example of like Twitter and just falling down the rabbit hole. And actually all you're doing is anesthetizing for a minute or half an hour or an hour or however long it is going down the rabbit hole. And people tend to do that with food as well. It's a way of shutting off or numbing. So what do you think the importance is in terms of being rocking ourselves? So being there for ourselves in those moments when we have those judgmental thoughts about ourselves, how can we use those tools to support us, do you think? Well, again, if you take it back to that analogy of being rock, first of all, I really like the idea that rocks aren't perfect. Mm. Okay, they've got fissures and big, they're worn by life, Rosie. So first of all, don't expect yourselves to be perfect, either as a listener or rocking yourself. Just be you because you're fantastic. Think of all the horrible things we all go through. I'm so able to find joy and smile and laugh, you know, even in the midst of all of that. So that, you know, there's always two sides, isn't there? Whenever we're going through really hard times. Um, find that presence. I think it is about being really, really honest, what is it that absolutely and utterly fills you up? What is it that makes you feel so full of joy that you forget anything else, that you literally are, you know, that moment, the power of now, you actually are in the moment. And that's the thing, the difference between numbing and self-care for me. So numbing is, I'm going to forget about it for an hour, but I won't be any different going into it as coming out of it. I'm not, I, I haven't lifted myself. I've just forgotten about it for a while. Whereas if you do mad dancing in the living room to Indian music, which is one of my things that makes me <laughs> transform, um, I feel different when I come out of that. That's so I feel, yeah, go. I've said that's yeah. so wise. I think it's, that's such a wise way to look at self-care because I think it's so, um, again, it's another self-care, something that's sold to us now. It's sold in face packs and spa days and magnetic eyelashes if you're on Instagram. You know, it's sold in this whole package of, you know, self-care is about, again, tied up to how you look. That's the irony, isn't it? But actually self-care is so much deeper than that, you know, but I love that analogy about self-care isn't about forgetting about it. It's about what lifts you, makes you so full. So full that you're actually, for that moment, when you come out of doing whatever it is that you do, you can take on the world again. You've transcended it. 
you've transcended it yeah that's yeah I yeah. love that I absolutely love that and when um I work with clients we talk about we draw the tummy and we draw the heart and we talk about when we talk about emotional hunger we talk about what things that are you putting you know what is it you really need in that moment that you're actually replacing with food is it a hug is it listening to music is it getting outside and going for a jog is it going and finding your youngest and giving them a good how long is it you have to squeeze someone for oxycytosin to it's like 60 or 90 seconds for a cuddle that releases all the love hormone and whatever it it might be but i think that's such a powerful analogy of yours about transcending and self-care being that thing definitely and i'd say to anybody who's listening as well keep going with it don't give up on it because when we lose our self-care when we i don't know if there's people listening now who will say i don't know what brings me joy anymore and i get that because it took me a long time when you're stuck in a rut to remember what brings you joy and one of the big things that brings me joy is dance and i wouldn't say i'm a great dancer i just say that really really makes me feel joyful learning how to dance sober that was really hard and it was only three years ago rosie i've been sober 20 years but three years ago we went to a friend's party in a village hall and this piece of music came on and i just thought stuff it I'm just gonna let it go. Yeah. And I danced and for the first time in my life, I felt like I was floating. Literally felt like I was some ballerina and I was just yeah. disco ballerina. Anyway, when I came out of it, it was like, oh wow, I can actually dance without drink. It took 17 years. So yeah. don't give up because yeah. one day you'll have that moment where you just think, this is it. This is the thing that fills me up. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. That is incredible. And I do, yeah, self care is really important. And what else do you think is important, in your opinion, to foster in ourselves to be well then? How else can we foster that sense of. I, yeah, that's really good. Listen to yourself. Be really honest with yourself. You, um, it's really important, I think, and it's been a long struggle of mine, is to actually be really honest with myself about my own feelings and to say, it's okay to tell me. If, if I tell no one else, isn't it okay to be honest with me and wake up and think, I'm really vulnerable today and I actually need someone. And then reach out to someone and have you know we, we we've talked before rosie i know about how important it is who's your rocks not just who are you going to be a rock for but who are your rocks and knowing who you can reach out for in a moment and and don't carry it on your own and in your rock in your book you talk about the rock pool these pool of people what i thought was really interesting so i guess in my head i thought oh if i need to be heard i need that person in my life who's the really conscientious deep thinker, listener, but actually the people take all shapes and go, so that person that I can make is just going to make me laugh. Or the person that I know is um, just going to come on a silent run with me. Whatever it might be, it's asking yourself that question, is it what is it I need right now? And who in my world do I have that can give it to me? And sometimes it is 
I need that person that's going to send me that ridiculous meme that's going to make my sides hurt. And other times it is that really deep thinking, conscientious person in our world, isn't it? But that was a bit of an yeah. idea for me because I think I automatically thought I've always got to find that person and I don't have that many of those kind of people in my world but actually learning that that's not necessarily what I always need actually sometimes it's a physical touch you know it's a big hug from my husband Steve because it makes me feel very safe and secure yeah. or it will be going out for my hours we're in the pandemic at the moment and my hours allotted exercise with my son Zach, he's, he's a teenager, he doesn't talk much, but just that companionship. And yeah. So yeah, that was a really, that was a, such a powerful insight for me, reading the book. And I think you've hit on something really important is what's the need? Mm. You know, I, I, what is the need? Do I need to be uplifted or do I need to be able to sit with someone and cry? Mm. And we'll have different rocks who can fulfill that for us. You know, my friend Pete is great because I can phone him up and he goes, oh, what have you done now, you dingbat? It's like opening the lid of a lemonade bottle, isn't it? A comment like that, you've shaken the lemonade bottle all day with your overthinking and your anxiety and worry and then someone like Pete comes along and just goes with the dingbat. Yeah. It's enough to let the pressure out, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and the great thing is there's so much love in that comment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and warmth yeah. and recognition and affection but mm. it was just as, it, as we were talking and I was thinking about what I need and where I go for it and I was thinking about those runs with my son and actually quite often what I need because I live in a world that I have three children I have a dog my husband and I both work from home even outside the pandemic um my job is to be talked to and Sometimes what I need most is silence. And you also yeah. talk about the power of silence in the book. And I was thinking about those runs with Zach and why I find them so therapeutic is because he doesn't feel the need to chat to his mum. We just do it in silence, but he's with me. And that's incredibly therapeutic. And you talk about learning the power of silence yourself. Yeah, and, and practice. You know, just use every day... Um interactions to practice holding silence and one of the big things that I realized if people are talking to you like I'm talking to you now Rosie and then I suddenly stop and look away and I do that a lot anyway I, I take a while menopausal slower brain take a while to process something so I might look away and do this and when people do that they are actually using the recall part of their brain and if we interrupt that by speaking to them they forget what they're going to say. So practice that moment of if somebody is not, if they're talking to you and then they look away from you, if they're not looking at you, they don't want a response from you. So practice holding the silence for that one first. That's such a visual, so it's a visual clue. There's our visual clue. Yeah. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. But we can't. And so when I go rock moment. Mm -mm. Ah, but we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't. Bear witness, I just did it then, look, up left, I was thinking, oh my God, bear witness to what's happening in someone's body language or in their facial expressions if we are doing this. Yeah, I'm listening. No, I'm yeah. listening. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's, that's what the most in my world is this. Yeah, I'm listening from the big one and the 
smaller ones. Yeah. So they might be listening, but do you feel heard? No, never. No. No, never. And that's because you've got their ears, but you haven't got their presence. Mm. Okay. So that's when I realized presence is the really significant thing. You know, um, we have to know that somebody is really there alongside us. And alongside is better normally than right in your face. Mm. You know, again, because if we start getting, especially with our kids too, in their face, we're doing listening and you don't want to don't want to do that because you don't want to make it too obvious that you're actually um coming alongside because you don't want to put pressure on them that they have to talk right mm. teenagers don't like that that's for sure most adults don't like it either really well even with teenagers in particular i've just um read a book on the development of teenagers brains and they were saying that their whole this whole point in their development is about trying to pull away they have to try and become independent and they do that by trying to push you away but at the same time a massive part of their um sense of self and safety and security is still trying to hold on and so they use conflict to hold on to you they use conflict um in order to keep you engaged so they know that you still care, which was such a massively interesting insight. But what you said about needing to come alongside them, but in a way where they feel safe to share, because the moment they feel like you're putting a set of values, your beliefs, you're on top of them, they will, they will do this because they're trying to become independent of you. And that includes, you know, your, guidance unfortunately they'll, they'll listen to the the geography teacher at school but you've said the same thing 75 times and it wasn't ever good enough it's that kind of yeah so coming alongside i think is and, and doing it physically isn't it you yeah in parallel yeah yeah go for a walk like you say go for a run together um you know if you can uh just chop veg next to each other anything that's got that that sort of i'm alongside but i'm not really looking at you i mean driving in the car brilliant you know such a good a good way of having a conversation unless you're teaching them to drive yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not looking forward to that one bit <laughs> so i mean what do you think of three if we were to like say the three most simple steps that our club members could take away that would immediately benefit them what things can they put into action within the next you know rest of the day what do you think are like the top three things that benefit us and our sense of well-being um but also can help foster those relationships that we're in around us okay uh no <laughs> number one be you be absolutely authentically you for your own well-being and for the fact that when somebody uh, needs you to hear them, they don't want you to turn into strange active listener. That's what I learned. Oh, yeah. What's <laughs> so an active listener? Like yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or do the head on one side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not listening because I'm actually nodding so much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 
just be you, be absolutely brilliantly you because you are enough. You are enough in everything, actually. Um, and remember, lots and lots of people genuinely do love you. And so hold that on the days that you feel wobbly. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. You're, you're brilliant, you're authentic, and you're enough. Number two is practice presence for yourself. So fire when you're... Um, um, I talk about it in the book. It's sort of like the vortex of, I don't want to say a rude word, but I'm sure we all have a name for that one, where your, your thinking, your thoughts are actually spinning around you and you can't get away from them. Mm. That's a really good time to practice your presence. Just think, mm, no, I'm going to be rock for me right now and I'm going to stand still for a moment and I'm going to breathe. So that's really great because then if you can do that for you you can do it for others when they're talking and you your what i call your gremlins are coming out and they go what to fix it i want to fix it i want to fix it I think no no rock moment and i can be present so you can be present for yourself or present for someone else and then the other thing is to learn what your gremlin is is your gremlin to fix is your gremlin to go into immediately asking lots of questions is your gremlin to be sympathetic you know we'll have learnt default responses Rosie when somebody is in a difficult situation and it doesn't mean we're a bad person because everyone does it mm. everyone does it um, I have a huge fix-it gremlin um, but if you know what your gremlin is if you learn that then you can keep it at bay when it's not appropriate and that would be really good but we'll have our own gremlins that we reflect on us so my family came from Cornwall and one of my um, self-care gremlins is my gran used to say to me never say your mother bred a jibber which is jibber was the horse that wouldn't when they were um, doing horse racing it was the one that was too scared to go out on the race so that's okay. what a jibber is. Okay. I had to look it up. I was like, what's a jibber? So as a child, don't say that your mother bred a coward. How often did I hear that? A lot. So that's now become a default response for me is I feel fearful or I'm already a weak person now because I must be a jibber. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I've realised now that's one of my gremlins, and I just, I just laugh now and think, oh, I should prance like a pony and do, oh no, <laughs> anything to make me laugh because there it is. And I've, I've started thinking of those default things as software programs, and they're not who I am, Rosie. They're just software programs that I've run for a very long time, and I confuse them with being me, and they're not me. We went back to floppy disks. They're the disks you're putting in, aren't they? Is I'm going to run this one. That's so powerful, Mandy. I love that as a analogy. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. huge. It's just so, I, so we're using that just the last few weeks. My husband and I been you know we had a bit of a struggle, Rosie, and um, he said to me. I talked to him about um, there's a difference between my hard drive, who's, who's Mandy, and my software program that I could be running, which is completely not helpful. Mm. And the other day he turned to me and he said, I think you're running a software program. And that was the best thing he could have said to me because I'd gone into 
this story I tell myself about me. Yes. Yeah, we all tell ourselves stories about ourselves, don't we? Yeah, and they're not normally very good. No. But also, I'm thinking about the idea of a software program. Sometimes the software is a manifestation of what's been going on in the hard drive, in that if we've not had our needs met in terms of eating well, sleeping, um, the software, you know, that being having support around us at home, the house has all gone to couldn't think of a polite word then. I wanted to say the word. I know we're trying really hard not to swear, aren't we? Gone to shit. Gone to pants. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the software program that I might run would be an anxiety kind of shouty mum kind of and actually what it's about is feeling overwhelmed yeah i'm actually yeah. overwhelmed so in my iceberg what's under here under the water is overwhelmed and up here is me running around going why can't anyone ever change the toilet roll why is it always me why is anyone help but actually it's because i've got too many plates and it's being able to step back isn't it and go back to the hard drive and say actually in terms of my infrastructure What's a little bit off kilter? Where do I need to? Spend? Yeah, and and I suppose the thing is, then if we can bring it back to that moment where you say you could stop and be present with yourself, and say, okay, I'm running this software program right now. So what's my need? My need is for everybody to help me tidy up. Not me do it. Everyone do it. Yes. Yes. But it is the presence gives us the chance to we stop, we can label it, so we can give it the thought. You know, we talk about um, labeling the thought or labeling the you know the what I'm experiencing right now, and then we can, as you say, identify the need and ask for it. And we have to learn how to ask. Yeah, I don't think we're yeah. very good at asking. No, and I've had to really, really practice in myself, and I'm still not very good at it because I'm very used to being the person who's asked, and then it becomes, well, that's my, that's my role. And I was the oldest of four children, and right. my parents. I had quite a tumultuous childhood, and when my parents divorced, I very much stepped into the role of the second parent and felt a lot of weight and obligation on my shoulders at quite a young age and that manifested for me in the only thing I could control was food so I had quite a disordered relationship in my teens with food but actually what was I talking about where did that come from <laughs> why have I gone blank you'll take it back to that moment about being able to say what's my need in yeah. that experience yeah. needing to ask because yeah. i've learned that my role yeah is to be the person that people lean into yeah and so actually part of my a lot of work I, I and as i said just like you i'm still a work in progress is to learn how to make that ask and actually my husband he is always very willing to support me. He doesn't always see it. And I think we have this expectation that people should just see it and know. But actually the moment I ask, he's like, yeah, of course, I'm there. I'll meet your need. You know, yeah. but um, yeah, so it's being brave, isn't it? About saying it's okay to ask. 
and and also that idea that we talked about before is um having um having a rock literally a physical rock yes. and if you can't ask then you you just you tell your family that this rock represents i'm not feeling very um safe today or wobbly or i'm more vulnerable and all you do is you go and put it next to the person that you really need them to rock you I mean, you don't have to say what's wrong mm. you they just know that you're struggling and my son two days ago we were on a zoom call with friends and he's only child and he's beginning to struggle you know he's we've been on probably you know almost an hour and he's beginning to struggle and afterwards he said i was finding it really hard to entertain myself and i said it's okay love you could have got your rock if you just come up he said i didn't like to interrupt i said but if you just brought your rock and put it by the laptop one of us would have come off the call yeah. and he got oh yeah i'm gonna use that next time that's that's really good it's really good for children who can't always articulate can they they can't always find the words or even pinpoint what they're feeling they just know there's this sense of something so yeah i think that's i'm definitely going to use that with my kids i'm gonna go yeah so we've all got our rocks now on the mantelpiece that's where they live okay. and then we can just go and get them and put them next to the person that we need if we're struggling okay i'm gonna get one about this big and put it next to the <laughs> <laughs> that one's for tidying up. <laughs> my tidy up rock. Right. <laughs> tidying up on my rocks. <laughs> this one is my don't leave your dirty clothes on the floor yeah, rock. Guys, don't pick your, can you pick your pants up rock? <laughs> we may have to, you know, to explore. I make it, this could be a homeschooling crafting project that I've just created. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. serious note, that's, I think that's really powerful as well. And it, I'm thinking about Zach, who's a teenager. He doesn't want to come to me and always, you know, he does actually, he does have a very open relationship with us. He's very good at communicating. But there may be times where that changes. So as you say, being able to just come and say. Yeah. Yeah. But we have and to be of not going in to fix it with our children, don't we? Yeah, you know, my cheesy one to remember that. <laughs> You've got to rock someone before you do your parenting role so rock before you roll rock before you roll that's so true rock before you yeah. roll. okay oh amazing mandy it, i i this book um i honestly i devoured it um i know other people that have devoured it it's a really accessible read but just full of so much wisdom and there are so many um knowledge bombs in here we didn't even get to the drop but the drop is another you've got, to, you've got to learn about the drop you've got to buy this book can you tell everybody where they can find you mandy where can they find this where can they find out more about you and your work thank you yeah well i'm, I'm on the web uh it's mandypreece.uk um you can find me on twitter facebook and instagram at mandy j priest um, I'm still trying to learn Instagram. <laughs> I'm not. I, <laughs> I think that me and Instagram haven't quite worked, worked out our relationship yet. Um, but yeah, I am on there. Um, and the book is on Amazon um, and you can get it on Kindle or paperback. Um, I think the paperback probably works better because it's got lots of little quotes in the layout. Obviously, Kindle, you don't get that. the same layout. So. And I also, to be yeah. honest, I'm one of those people that I've, I've turned pages at all my favourite bits. 
so I love a physical book I really do and I like notes yeah. and I keep them and I like to stick back to them and I do I pick it up quite frequently and come back to it so yeah I'm fine, fine with this and one final question before you go if you had a billboard and that billboard could show to the world and you could write one thing on that billboard that everyone could see what would you write be heard be heard yeah fabulous thank you so much mandy as ever thank you. it's been a huge joy thank you for tuning in and we hope you have taken something away from listening perhaps one small action you can put into practice today we would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode so pop on over to reframe club where you can share them your own reflections and experiences we would love to hear from you As always, here at Reframe Club, we are rooting for you.